Deuteronomy 7 and verse 17. If thou shalt say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. My friends, we're looking this morning at uh, this passage of Scripture and uh, Deuteronomy 7, the end part, and uh, chapter 8 as well, and hopefully going to chapter 9. And uh, my topic is attitudes of the heart. Attitudes of the heart. Now there are, there are as I'm sure you know, uh, two parts uh, to us. I'm not talking about our makeup as a body and soul. I'm thinking about something else. I'm uh, thinking about what I have in mind is more there's a public side to us and there's a private side to us. It's a public face which we present to other people uh, to our, in the home or in the, or in the office or in the church. There's that side to us. And then there's another side to us, the inner side of us, what's going on in our minds and in our hearts. And, uh, well, what we, what the two don't always correspond. The two are not always the same. If uh, what's, what's in our hearts doesn't always, uh, is not always visible uh, to others uh, in, in public. Only God can see what is going on in our hearts. And as one person said, sometimes uncannily, our wives can also see what is going on in our hearts. But God is the one who can see everything. And this is God's focus is much more on the heart than here it is on the outside. We can only judge things by the outside. We don't have the power to see what somebody is really thinking. We don't have the power to discern somebody's motivations. We can guess, and we do guess. Often we're wrong, sometimes we're right. But we can only guess what's really happening. But God has the power to look at the heart. We need tangible evidence before we come to conclusions about what a person is saying or what a person is doing. You remember Samuel the prophet, when he was assigned by God to find a new king, he was directed by God to go to the house of Jesse, and uh, Jesse had eight sons, and he brought his eldest son uh, before him, Eliab, I think it was, and uh, Eliab was a tall man, and he was a strong man, and he looked like a soldier, and we're told he was a good-looking man. Oh, Samuel said when he saw uh, Eliab, this must be the Lord's anointed. Look at him. He's got all the qualities to be a king. Even the prophet thought in this natural way. But the Lord said to him, Look not on his countenance, for the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And God could see the heart of Eliab. He wasn't really prepared to be a king. Maybe he didn't have the spirituality that his youngest brother David had. And uh, he was outwardly seemed fit for the job, but inwardly not. Christ in his teachings also, we could say, had this way of indirectly unveiling people's hearts. Did not, sometimes he did it directly, but usually, uh, quite often he used parables to 
show people what they were really like and what was really going on in their hearts to expose it to themselves if to no one else. You remember when he told that story about the, the Pharisee and the publican, the tax collector in other words, two of them going up into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee had his religious robes on. And the Pharisee was well known to the people as a religious person, a holy man of God, because he did all the religious things. And he went up and he went to the, up, the, uh, up the hill into the temple and he went right to the very front of the temple and he began to, st he stood and he prayed with, uh, uh, to God and he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men are and I'm not like that publican behind, that tax collector, that wicked sinner behind. I am so good, I'm so wonderful. And if you were in that congregation, maybe you would have agreed with him and said amen to his prayer. But the Lord Jesus said, no, he is not as righteous as he is. He is a man whose prayer doesn't reach, doesn't go past the ceiling. Here is a Pharisee who outwardly is right, but his heart is full of self-righteousness and pride, and God hates those things. So he was, uh, the Lord was exposing these things. This, this is how the Lord uh, looks. He looks at the heart. And this is what we want to think about today, is our attitudes of the heart. Well, again and again, this phrase comes up in Deuteronomy, and especially here in chapter 8, uh, as, say not in thine heart, or consider in thine heart. So we're thinking of the different attitudes uh, that we can have, good attitudes and attitudes that we must also avoid. And I have five to mention in our time uh, this morning. Firstly, here, an attitude of fear. In chapter 7 and verse 17, If thou shalt say in thine heart, These nations are more than I, how can I dispossess them? Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Here are the children of Israel, this new generation. They're about to go into the promised land. They're about to enter the land that God has given, uh, is giving to them. And they may have felt overwhelmed at the prospect and the work and the battles that were ahead of them. How could they overcome the Canaanites? They would all gang up probably against them. How could they overcome them? How could they win? They were not experienced in battle. They'd had just two or three battles, this younger generation. How could they win? The Canaanites were experienced. They knew they were warriors. They knew how to fight and, and to win. They were used to fighting. And then these younger generation, they would have remembered still the words of their fathers. When that 38 years ago, when they were supposed to go into Canaan, their fathers went into the land, and they came back and said, oh, the sons of Anak, they are like giants in our sight, and we were in their sight like grasshoppers. We were so small compared to them when we were full of fear and unbelief. And they may have felt the same way. How can we go in? Those words may have caused them to tremble and to be afraid in their hearts. How can I dispossess them? They were saying in their hearts, probably, out of fear. But God anticipates their fears and tells them not to be afraid, but to remember, you shall well 
remember. In the Hebrew, that is remembering, remember. It's an emphasis on mull these things over in your minds. Remember what I have done. Don't forget what I have done. Think over these things. Yes, remember what God did in Egypt. There the Lord, uh, we read, destroyed uh, not only Pharaoh, but also uh, what he did unto all Egypt. And Egypt was more powerful than the Canaanites are. Egypt uh, and its, the Egyptian army was much more mightier than the Canaanites that they were going to attack. And so God, God says, remember that by my invincible power, I brought you out of Egypt. And in the process of bringing you out, I also destroyed the whole army of uh, Egypt. And you didn't even have to fight. You didn't even have to take up any weapons at that time. You didn't even have an army. I fought for you. I did it for you. I exerted the power. I did everything for you. I gave you the victory. You don't need to be afraid. I will also give you the victory as I did there. Consider that. Remember that for your encouragement. And as I did it then, verse 19, so shall the Lord uh, do unto all the people of whom thou art afraid. In verse 20, he promises uh, additional help, it seems, when he talks about these hornets. Uh, the Lord thy God will send the hornet among them uh, to, de to destroy them as well. Some people take that literally as, as stinging bees, but it could also be taken in a metaphorical way. Some help coming from elsewhere, or the word could also be used in, in the sense of he, the Lord will send panic amongst the Canaanites. But some additional help is going to come. In verse 21, don't be frightened of them. Why? Because the Lord your God is an awesome God, and He is among you a mighty God, a terrible God. And the same God is with them. So they are to remember these things. And while we know to be afraid, to be fearful, is a very common feeling in our hearts. Even as believers, we may come across situations that we may be placed in circumstances that cause us to be afraid and to worry and to tremble about the future or to tremble about our current situation or to tremble and fear about even people that we know and we love around us, our loved ones, and we, we do not know what's going to happen and we are so afraid. We may be fearful of a, a trial that is approaching, something we know that is going to happen ahead of us, and we think it will all be too much for us. How can I get through it? And the same words come through. How can I? I'm afraid these things are before me. How can I get through it? How can I manage in that situation? How can I get through such a situation? How can I survive in such a situation? There may be a real fear and panic in our heart. And the word comes to us again from the Lord. Remember. Remember, friends. Remember what uh, the Lord has done for you. Remember how the Lord has helped you. Surely you have a track record of the Lord's blessings in your life, of answers to prayer. Surely you can look back and say, oh, I remember that time when I was also in trouble, the Lord helped me. Oh, friends, uh, this is uh, an encouragement for us. In, even in times of fear from which we are not exempt, 
we are to remember how the Lord has helped us. If the Lord has helped us before, he won't leave us now. He won't bring us out of the world and save us and then say, okay, now I'm leaving you to yourself. He's not like that, friends. He brings us, he's with us every step of the way. If you remember Christ's promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we remember what he has done for us before and we trust him going forward. We trust him and we depend upon uh, him. You remember that words of the, that uh, hymn by John Newton? You should, you should memorize it if you don't know. His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in re review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. Oh, it's an encouragement for us, friends, to know that the Lord is with us. But then secondly, there's an attitude of dependence in chapter 8 and verse 2. After Moses reminds them again uh, to keep the commandments when they go into the new land, in chapter 8, verse 2, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in the in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, friends, God brought his people into hard times after their exit from Egypt. One would have thought perhaps, oh, they'd been slaves for such a long time in Egypt. They'd suffered tremendously. They were in such a lowly position, such a weak position. Surely, when they came, but God brought them out, he's going to treat them very softly. He's going to give them a nice, cushy, comfortable life uh, all, the, all the way uh, to Canaan. But it wasn't so. We read uh, that uh, he brought difficulties along their way. God brought difficulties. God brought them into difficult straits to humble them and to prove them and to test their faith. God was teaching them a lesson. They ran out of food, uh, out of bread at one point. On more than one occasion, they ran out of water. What were they to do? On one occasion, they'd gone three days without water, that basic necessity of life for them, their children, and their cattle. They didn't have enough water. And then when they came to a lake where there was water and they tasted it, it was bitter water. There were, there were hearts dropped when they tasted it. And God had to do a miracle to uh, make the waters drinkable for them. But through the, all these things, God was teaching them a lesson. God wanted them to depend on him. When they come across those difficulties, he wants them to look to him, to pray to him, to cry to him for help, and to cry to him uh, for an answer to prayer. This is what he is doing. Uh, he's humbling them. The word humble there could be taken in the, in the sense of to make you feel your weakness and dependence. Make them feel their dependence uh, and weakness. Oh, one might ask, these were slaves. The children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, they were no 
officers of, of the army. They were, no, they were no rich businessmen. They were, all came from a, from a slave background. All, every family, every Israelite family was like that. Did they need to learn humility? Did they need to learn dependence? Surely they are already dependent people. Surely they know from their low position that has taught them a humility and dependence. But it's not. It didn't, friends. Because humility and dependence on God is not something that is natural to human beings. It's not something that we have. It's not even something that we learn as so much by our lowly position. A person may be very poor, and they may still be very proud and independent. It doesn't depend on our circumstances so much or our position in life. Real uh, humility and dependence on God is something that God must work uh, in us. And uh, usually uh, we learn these lessons best, sad to say, by hard times and difficulties and straits and trials that, that happen, just like happened with the children of Israel. God was teaching them through these things to depend on Him. Don't live independently of Him. Perhaps we're unbelievers. Perhaps we don't know the Lord. That's how we live our lives, isn't it? We live, we say, there is no God. Or if there is a God, I, I, I don't care. I can manage myself. I can manage myself. I can, I can uh, deal with the problems. They're, they're just challenges for me. Every problem, yeah, I, I can manage it. And we don't turn to God. If we're unbelievers, troubles that come into our life, well, they're meant uh, to lead us to the Savior. They're meant to make us to pray. Just this last week, I was talking to a lady, and uh, she, uh, she was, she's been diagnosed with a leukemia. And uh, when I was talking to her, she was actually, I said, well, how did you respond to it? She, well, she wasn't a believer before it. But she said, it made me turn to God. It made me turn to the Lord. It made me realize I needed to be right with God. And that's what troubles and uh, uh, difficulties in life are meant to have, a kind of effect. Not to turn us away from God, but to turn us to Him. But uh, here we see these were things which are permitted by God. Verse 3, He humbled thee, He suffered thee to hunger, and then He, fe he fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that He might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. It's not bread that really ultimately sustains us. It's dependence on God. Our life comes from God. And then verse 4, your, your raiment, your clothing didn't wax old, nor your foot swell those 40 years. Verse 5, consider in thine heart. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. Keep that in your heart. As, uh, as believers, remember that God doesn't spoil his children. God doesn't treat us all with sweets and desserts and everything that we like and make our life so pleasant and so easy for us. Some people have this idea of Christianity. This is what Christianity is all about. God answering all your problems, everything going smoothly in life. It doesn't happen now. That's a wrong idea, friends of uh, the Christian life. God trains His children. God disciplines His children. 
God permits hard things as well as good things in, in life. But he's teaching them through all those, depend on me, lean on me, I will help you. You wonder, friends, isn't it? Sometimes where these prosperity teachers, whether they read their Bible or not, because how do they deal with such passages as these who tell you, God wants you to be prosperous, God wants you to be healthy and well. But here, God's saying, no, I'm disciplining you as my child. If I give you too much, you're bound to forget me. That comes through, isn't it, later? You'll beware, you're going to forget me. And more likely in times of prosperity, and when things are going swimmingly well, we forget the Lord. And so God doesn't want us to forget him. And, uh, but some of these prosperity teachers would give that kind of impression. That's all God wants for you, blessing after blessing, uh, and usually in terms of temporal things. But I must move on. The third attitude in verses 6 to 10 is an attitude of thanksgiving. So an attitude uh, uh, devoid of, of, of fear, or an attitude of dependence, and now uh, thanksgiving. Here the Lord is on the verge of bringing them into a good land, an idyllic land. There were good times ahead. It wasn't only going to be trial. There's going to be some trial, but a lot of good things were prepared for them. This good land was prepared for them, wherein was milk and honey. And look, so many things, a land flowing with water to irrigate the land, and that would mean that the, the crops would be uh, the crops would be multiplied in verse 8, the wheat and the barley, and the vines and the fig trees. And then a nine, verse 9, a land wherein they would, they would, you shall eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything. A place where they would mine iron and brass. And then verse 10, when thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. They would have access to so much abundance uh, in the promised land. God would bless them with many good things, but they were to remember to give thanks to the Lord, to, to bless him who had blessed them in such a way. When you are eaten and are full, when you have all those things that are uh, support for your support and your comfort, remember then to bless the Lord for them. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. God giveth us all things richly to enjoy. To enjoy. Yes, we can enjoy the things uh, that are the good things of life, the, the legitimate things of life. They are there for our blessing. But enjoy them in God. Enjoy them in Him. What should our attitude be among such blessings as we have, in, especially in this land? Well, thanksgiving and gratefulness. Thank Him, friends everything you have. Thank Him for your jobs. Thank Him for your, your homes. Thank Him for your families. Thank Him for your children. Thank Him uh, for the comforts. Thank Him for your heating in the cold weather. We see people uh, in the Middle East now, uh, the homes gone, everything gone. We feel for them, but it hasn't happened to you. But thank Him all the more uh, for what you have. Thank you for every success, every time something goes well, every time you do something well, pray, don't pat yourself on the back. Thank him for it. Thank him for especially for all the spiritual blessings 
that come your way, forgiveness. Oh, you can be a, you'll be a happier person if you're a more thankful person. But then fourthly, here is something for us to avoid, an attitude to avoid, an attitude of pride. Pride, verses 11 to 18. Moses warns the people not to forget God. Verse 11, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou art eaten, when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thy heart thou forget the Lord thy God. So Moses warns them. He's really in preaching mode here, isn't it, in this chapter. And he's uh, telling them, beware. Beware of forgetting God. Beware of thinking you have done it all. That's what he's saying. If you look at verse 17, say not in thine heart, there's that phrase again, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Don't think that you have done it all yourself when uh, everything is, has gone well for you and you're settled and the wars are over and there you are, you're enjoying the plenty. Don't forget the Lord's commandments. Don't forget what he's told you to do. And remember, don't take the credit uh, to yourself, but remember that it is God that has brought you in. There was a real danger that pride could creep in to, uh, into their thinking. And it, 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 it's often the case. You know, I, I'm sure that this is connected with thanksgiving. When people cease to thank God for what they have and what, who they are, very quickly pride is going to come in. And they're going to, instead of giving the credit to God, we begin to take the credit to ourselves. And uh, this can happen for a believer as well. I, as a believer, have to beware of this attitude of pride. Oh, my mortgage is all paid off. My pension pot is sufficient for the future. I don't need to worry. All the house is all sorted out. I have a nice retirement plan already. It's all done. Oh, I have a lovely family that surrounds me. I have uh, all these uh, wonderful things. I've achieved that standard of life that I aspired to when I was in, when, in my youth. And now I'm here. I've reached. I've arrived. Everything is well. And I've got here by my hard work. I've put in the effort. I got that university degree and now I've got that, that, that offer, that job offer has come through. It's because of me. I did it. That's my hard work. I burned the, the midnight oil. You may think like that, friends. Oh, I reached this position because uh, I, I was able and capable. And we take the, the, take the glory and the credit to ourselves which belongs uh, to the Lord. The thought of our hearts may be my power and, the, and the, the might of mine hand had gotten me this place and this wealth gotten me here. We wouldn't say that to other people. <laughs> we dare not say it out with our, uh, verbally, but in our hearts, maybe we might uh, think that. Now, friends, pride is an awful thing. It's a sinister thing. It really is very hard to get rid of, and we will never be completely exempt from pride ever in this world. 
even after conversion. It creeps in everywhere. It's found in the, in the pew. It's found in the pulpit. Pride is everywhere to be found. I am so humble, somebody says, and I can be proud of being so humble. I am so kind, and I can be proud of being so kind. Oh, I am such a generous person, and I can be proud of being such a generous person. Pride, see, pride uh, doesn't, uh, can come in different shapes and sizes. There was a, a young man, and uh, he wanted very much to get rid of his pride. Didn't like it as a believer, and so he shouldn't. Uh, he went to his pastor and told him his predicament, and he wanted, that he wanted to overcome pride. And the, pride, the pastor said, well, this calls for some drastic action. So he said, come to the church next Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, the young man duly arrived 10 o'clock the following Saturday morning, and uh, the pastor had prepared two placards, two signboards uh, for him to wear around his neck, one for the front, one for the front and one for the, the back. And on these signboards on both sides were in capital letters, I am proud of myself. And he said, now I want you to walk down the main street from one end of the main street to the other with these placards on. You mustn't turn them the other way around. You must uh, walk all the way down and it was quite a long street, and it was also quite a small town. So no doubt he would have been seen and he would have been recognized. His pastor said, I'll be waiting for you at the other end of the line, and this will cure you of your pride. So the man, he, uh, he put on the placards, and he started his walk uh, down the, the main street, and uh, people stared at him, stared at this red-faced young man, and uh, people uh, mocked him and laughed at him as he was walking by. It was a very humiliating experience for him, but he reached the end. And when he reached the end, his, uh, the pastor said to him, well, how did it go? He said, oh, it was so terrible. It was so awful uh, an experience, but I made it. I made it. And then his face lit up and he smiled and he said, it was awful, it was terrible. I bet no one else would have done that. You see? Pride. He was proud of what he had done. You cannot get rid of pride. Pride is always there, friends. Oh, beware of it. Beware of it. How to deal with it? How to deal with pride? Verse 18, remember again. <coughs> remember, uh, excuse me. Remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, and so on. The Lord gave you the strength to do what you do. So remember that. And then finally, in a fifth attitude, is an attitude of self-righteousness. And that's in chapter 9 and verse 4. And I'll just deal with this briefly. Speak not in thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Self-righteousness was another attitude that they had to be beware of. And uh, it's uh, uh, something else that we also, uh, like pride, need to be aware of. 
here were these children of Israel, and they very likely could have said to themselves, well, we got the land because we were righteous people. And God is saying to them, no, it's not because of your righteousness. Again and again, he says to them, as we, as we looked at previous, in a previous study, God has said to them, because these nations, the Canaanites, are worthy to be judged, their sins they, uh, are so high and so terrible that I'm going to use Israel, use you as an instrument to judge them. I'm taking them out. I'm expelling them from the land because it's a judgment on them for their sins, not because you are so wonderful and righteous and good. That's not the reason. But they were tempted to think that, and they went on to actually become like. When you think of the time of Christ, and you look at the, the Jews and the Pharisees especially, they thought of themselves as deserving of God's blessing deserving of God's favor, automatics for en entrance into heaven because of their Jewish background and state. And I was so very wrong. And the Lord has said to them there in verse 4, Speak not in thine heart, for my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in. God emphasizes that the victory in Canaan is not because of them, but because of what he has done. Verse 7 how are they to deal with it? Again, remember. How to deal with self-righteousness? Remember and forget not how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the day that you departed out of the land of Egypt until you came into this place. Forty years you have been rebellious against the Lord. How could they proclaim their self-righteousness? And they had been again and again unbelieving, disobedient, rebellious. And Moses goes on to tell them about the golden calf, the idol that they had made and turned to and worshipped. They've forgotten these things. They, how can you proclaim that you are so righteous when there's a whole list of sins, when your track record of sins is there behind you? And the Lord says, remember those things. That will keep you low. That will keep you in the right frame of mind. And that's what we need to do. Pride is ever with us, friends, and uh, we are to remember a way to deal with us. It's so native to our few, uh, human nature to say, I am okay, I'm righteous. But we are to remember our sins, remember our failings, not to the point where we want to feel paralyzed by them and, and condemned by them, but to use them. It says, you know, God forgives all our sins. God forgets all our sins if we trust in Christ. It doesn't mean I have to forget them. <laughs> I, can, I, I can use them and remember them and use them in, in this way to keep me low. I need such reminders. If I forget what I was, then I will become proud. You will become proud if you forget who you once were. It's bound to happen. That's the way our sinful nature works. So friends, think on, uh, examine ourselves Daily, come before the Lord, confess your sins, and uh, this will help us in a practical way as well to deal with pride and self-righteousness. So, friends, I close with this. These are the different attitudes of the heart. Some we have to develop, others we have to beware of. But a big part of this work of sanctification, I hope you've, you've, you've got this, is this part of remembering, remembering, so it needs time to reflect on 
uh, on who God is and what He has done for us. To remember that great salvation, to remember Christ's sacrifice from us, what it cost Him to bring us out of Egypt, out of the world, to bring us to Himself, to take us to heaven. It cost the Son of God His most precious blood. And we want to remember that daily, often. We want to remember God's goodness. We want to remember when we are blessed. It is God who has given me the strength to do what I do. I am what I am by the grace of God and that alone. And we want to remember our sins and our failings so that we may walk with Him in a right way, in a humble way. Oh, friends, may these thoughts be in our hearts and may the Lord help us uh, in, in our walk with Him. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 558. How blessed is life if lived for thee. 558. <clears throat>